Thank you for listening to the Lake Murray Baptist Church podcast. Lake Murray Baptist Church is a Southern Baptist church located in Lexington, South Carolina. My name is David Sons, and I serve as the family and discipleship pastor here at the church, as well as the host of this podcast. Our hope is that this podcast would be a resource for our members who are seeking to live out their faith in Jesus Christ in their everyday lives. We want to use this platform to exalt Jesus and equip the members of Lake Murray to be the church where they live, work, and play. Welcome to episode eight of the Lake Murray Baptist Church podcast. This is part two of our Holy Week podcast. We are here with our lead pastor, Josh Powell. Josh, thanks for coming back. So today we want to focus on uh, the cross. Ultimately, Holy Week uh, culminates in, in, in the cross of Jesus Christ and is ultimately working its way towards the resurrection on, on Easter Sunday. Um, but for our focus today, we want to talk about the cross. And the cross is central to Christian formation, central to Christian theology, central to Christian understanding. Uh, John Stott says that the cross is at the center of the evangelical faith. Uh, and so, Josh, I just want to take a few moments and kind of unpack and talk through some of the different elements about the cross. But, but the first question I want to ask is this, why, why the cross? And here's what I mean when I ask that question. Um, there were a lot of ways that Jesus could have been killed. He, he could, there's a lot of ways that Jesus could have died, but there had to be something specific and significant about death on a cross. Um, I'm thinking about uh, Paul in 1 Corinthians where he says that the, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it's, it's the power of, of, of life. And so what was the significance of, of the method of crucifixion you, you think in the story of Jesus? I believe that on the very basic level, the cross in human history has, be, has to be one of the most gruesome and wickedest if you will, if that's a good word, of ways to die, especially through the capital punishment realm. I mean, I mean, there's some there's some bad ways to die. The cross, though, dying by hanging on a tree, by uh, you know, basically suffocating to death because your body is giving out and you can't put breath in your lungs anymore, has got to be one of the most gruesome ways to die. I can remember, I can remember. Growing up and and listening to T. W. Hunt and his Mind of Christ uh, study when I was growing up in my church, and he goes through this one section on video back in back in the days of VHS. I had the VHS tape. Uh, kids, if you're listening, you can ask your parents about that. So I remember watching that and him just going through. He had one on the cross and one on the resurrection, just going through and listing all of the things that happened to Jesus. You know, it, even going back to sweating drops of blood, which, which is a, a condition called hematidrosis, to where you stress so much, you have so much stress that blood vessels come to the, the, the surface of your skin on your face from stress and begin to burst. And so then to think he goes the very, just a few hours later, and, and it basically makes your face into a bruise, and he gets beaten. And so... Then you you come back later in life and you you watch the Passion of the Christ, which I could watch one time, you know, and you, you see this just vivid description of what he went through, and so on some level, you get this idea of what Jesus has done for us, and so you you get this picture. I mean, in Roman days, you wouldn't even use or discuss the idea of the cross. 
as I've heard so many commentators say, nobody would speak about this in public. It was awful. You wouldn't do it in town. You would do it outside of town. And it was not even legal for Roman citizens. It was like the worst kind of death for the worst kind of criminals for the conquered people. And so ultimately, you just see what Jesus had to go through to pursue us in salvation. And so that picture in and of itself is just overwhelming to me to think of what he did on my behalf. And then when you get that picture in the Gospels, that Jesus doesn't shy away from it, but goes to it. Just as we talked about he, um, just two days ago, when we talked about the triumphal entry, that idea of he's coming into town. He knows what's coming, and he comes. We hear him say, Father, if this cup can pass for me, or Father, you know, is there any other way? But ultimately, he goes after, willingly giving up his life in this most cruel and awful way. And so in some sense, to me, that is an emotional uh, strain upon me. And, And what I mean by that is it draws me in to think, man, he did this for me. He did this for me. And then when you factor in, not only do that, he took our sins upon himself during that time for the first time ever in all of eternity, the father and the son were separated because of sin. That ultimately is, I think, what Jesus wanted to pass from him. So for the first time in all eternity, the father and son are separated as God turns his back on his son and he turns back on his son so creation doesn't even know what to do at the time. It starts shaking, earthquakes start happening, rocks start splitting, sun goes black. And so uh, you see the cosmic nature of all of this, what happens on the cross. So he does that for me. But then you, then on that, you, you, you get what the scriptures are doing as well. Because the scriptures tell us um, in Galatians 3, for example, when Paul's laying out what Jesus has done, the scriptures say that uh, cursed, Speaking from Deuteronomy 21, cursed is every man who hangs on a tree. So remember in Genesis 3, after sin, all of creation was cursed. All of creation because of our sin was cursed. You see in Romans 8 where creation's even groaning under this curse. So all of creation's cursed. And on that cross, Jesus is reversing the curse, which I believe is the ultimate picture of that that crown of thorns being placed upon his head, you know, in mockery. But what he's doing, if you remember in, in Genesis 3, he it says that thorns and thistles will come from the earth. And so there are the thorns placed upon his head on almost this crown, and cursed is every man who hangs upon a tree, Deuteronomy 21 into Galatians 3. And what we get there is that Jesus is going to the cross to reverse the curse, not just take our sin. He does that. And, and cancel it and end it. But he's also reversing the curse. He's taking the curse that was made because of sin and, and ending it. And so in that sense, the cross was necessary, according to Deuteronomy 21 and Galatians 3, the cross was necessary for Jesus to become the savior of the, all, the, all of creation and, and ruling and reigning over everything as he is in charge of everything. And so all of that, he assumes his position as the king of the universe, the king of kings and lord of lords, because he dies for his people, redeeming them, and he reverses the curse from um, beginning to end that came in because of sin. We sing this, right? Joy to the world. You know, reversing that curse as far as the curse is found, um, he, he, he reverses it completely. You know, I think the cross 
does display the willingness of Jesus to suffer on our behalf. Uh, and it also displays the wickedness of humanity. I mean, this is humanity at its most wicked um, to devise this means of death that basically is just torture until death. And yet Jesus is willing to face even the most wicked nature of humanity and suffer what humanity, the, the worst that we could come up with so that, that we might be well, we might be free, right? That's right. And some of the old divines would call this, you know, they would say this displays the sinfulness of sin. Sure. It's like how sinful is sin? And you go to the cross and you see how sinful it is. Yeah. This is the wickedness of all of it. Right. I was reading uh, recently a, a, a re- popular, I hesitate to say Bible teacher, uh, started as Bible teacher, has kind of moved into more of a spiritual guru, has kind of gone a little bit uh, liberal in his theology, I would say. Uh, someone asked him a question. He said, why did Jesus die? And he says, well, Jesus didn't die. Jesus was killed. Uh, Jesus was killed. And, and, and he kind of begins to walk this back a little bit of the cross uh, and, and that Jesus went, he was willing to go to this. But, but it, it, we read in scripture, right? We read specifically in Isaiah 53, where it says it was the will of the Lord to crush him, mm-hmm. right? That the cross had a specific purpose, that the cross wasn't outside of Jesus's control. It wasn't outside of the, the control of God. And so, so I guess I would ask the, the same question a different way. We, we asked the first question was why the cross? But I would say that again, why the cross? Like what does the cross accomplish for us? Yeah. Well, and, and, just a hint on that to go back and touch because I don't think I answered your question fully at the start. That's the reason why this is nonsense, folly for the Jews. Yeah. Because their savior, their king would go and die in this cruel and awful way. Only criminals did that. Right. This was a slave's death. This was a slave's death. That's why it's nonsense. That's why God's wisdom is greater than our wisdom. So that's 1 Corinthians 1. Because what God was doing on the cross, you know, there's a lot of technical theology behind it that people have argued through the centuries, you know. Um, ultimately, it's redemption that God is accomplishing and going to apply to us. And so we've seen all of that. i just like to go back to the text itself mm-hmm. because we see this, right? We see this in, um, in, in Abraham and Isaac. Go take your son, put him there, and put him put him down. But what does God do? By the time Abraham raises the knife to to sacrifice his son, he provides a ram caught in the thicket and stops him and says, "That's the one." You see a substitute offering that's taking place here that the Lord accepts. Yeah, and 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 then you see it in the Passover lamb that we talked about before. How you know I'm going to kill the firstborn in every house unless. You take a perfect lamb and sacrifice it and do what you're supposed to do. Put the blood here on the doorposts, eat it together, burn the rest of it outside the house. Unless you do that, if you do that, then your oldest will live. And so we've seen throughout scripture how God provides a substitute. This even goes back to to the garden. And as soon as Adam and Eve, they were naked and unashamed. And then finally, after sin, they were now ashamed of what they were and they were no longer uh, appropriate dressed appropriately or undressed appropriately before God and so God provides for them um, the appropriate attire which is an animal had to die and he gives them animals clothing so we see throughout the scriptures how what's happening ultimately is that God is God is offering up a sacrifice on behalf of sinners so that they may be present with him so they may be redeemed, washed clean, and present with him. So when we look to the cross, that's exactly what we say. It is a penalty, and it is a substitute. So there's a penalty that needs to be paid, 
And on the cross, Jesus pays the penalty for sinners, and he is the substitute for sinners. So God put him forward. You, you mentioned these passages earlier. This is what God has done. God put him forward in Romans 3 as a propitiation, as one who will take the penalty. Now those, I just mentioned propitiation. Those are another two words I think that are important because you find in Leviticus 16 when these two goats are sacrificed for the people. One of them, uh, the high priest prays over the goat's uh, horns and the sins of the people are put upon the goat, if you will, imputed to him. And then that goat is sacrificed. This represents propitiation. This represents the idea that God is pouring out his wrath upon this one in order to uh, have his wrath satisfied. Mm. Have his wrath satisfied. So that propitiation is the satisfaction of the wrath of God. And then they take another goat and they put their hands on the goat's head and they put the sins of the people and then they take it out into the middle of the desert and let it go. It's where we get the term scapegoat from. And in doing this, he's removing the sin from the people, from the camp, if you will. So there's these two ideas. There's propitiation and expiation. Expiation is the removal of our sin. Propitiation is the paying for, the completely wiping out of the penalty and the debt. And so on the cross, we have a, a, we say that it was penal substitutionary. It was a penalty that was paid by another in our place. And it fulfills the wrath of God as a propitiation for our sin. And it removes our sin from us as far as the East is from the West as an expiation for our sin. I find all of those words and all that concept is what I mean when I say the atonement. And so we, we say the atonement of Christ, all of that, when I say the atonement, it's hard for me just to throw a definition on there because I think we see all of these things in the Old Testament that is happening for the atonement. It is a penalty that is being paid upon one in somebody else's place that is fulfilling or, or um, totally satisfying, satisfying yeah. the wrath of God. That's why Jesus drinks the cup and there's not a drop left. Right totally satisfying the wrath of God and removing the sins of the people away from them. And all of that is what is meant by the atonement. All of that is what happens on the cross, amongst other things. Sure. But all of that is what's most importantly happening on the cross. God is accomplishing the redemption of his people through his son as the perfect sacrifice, taking our sin and penalty upon himself and, and crushing our sin, if you will, satisfying God's wrath and removing the sin from us. Yeah. And I think we said a moment ago that, you know, this was, this was the will of God, but Jesus is also, Jesus is a willing participant That's here. Right. Um, I've heard one liberal scholar describe the cross as, as cosmic child abuse, but that's not what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Jesus is pleased to do the will of the Father. Absolutely. Right? And, and, and when, the, when the cup does not pass from him, he goes obediently, willingly to the cross to suffer the penalty for my sin, to suffer as a substitute, and then ultimately to atone for the sin and to reconcile us to God. Right. That's right. When I think about the cross, there are a lot of different things that we could talk about, but but one of the important things, I think, is what the cross communicates to us, that we can see why uh, the cross may have been folly to the Greeks and the Jews, right? The, the kings did not die on crosses. Slaves died on crosses, but yet God 
chooses, right, to, mm-hmm. to, to identify himself with the poor, with the exploited, with the oppressed, uh, by, by sending Jesus to die in this horrendous way, displaying his willingness to face the, the most uh, wicked that humanity could be. We see what the cross accomplishes, right, that it is, it is a penalty, that Jesus pays the penalty. He is our substitute and he atones for our sinfulness. But ultimately, the cross communicates something to all of us. And, and so what do you see the cross communicating? Yeah, and I've, I think in answering this question, and you can help me too, I think I'm just summarizing what we've been saying. The cross is this symbol for us, for Christianity. The symbol of everything for us, right? So that's why we wear it on our jewelry. That's why, right. it, it, it. and I, had, I heard one scholar, and rightfully so, to that culture that day, um, wearing a cross on jewelry would be like us wearing an electric chair around sure. our neck. You yeah, know, it's, it's an like, instrument it's like, of death. It's an instrument right. of death. But for us, God in his, um, only the way he can, his wisdom that is above ours has taken what was an instrument of death and made it, made it a, a gift of life for yeah. us, a symbol of life. Great reversal, if you will. And so you have these paradoxes all throughout the text. But what happens in this picture is you see two things come together that seemingly um, don't fit in the same spot. People always say that I'm a, I, I love the God of the New Testament, but I'm not a big fan of the God of the Old Testament. And, and what they mean by that is you see in the Old Testament, God carrying out his judgment through his people or through others, and it's strong. When a wicked nation comes, God says, wipe them out. And so you, people say, well, I don't like that. I like the God of love in the New Testament. What I say, of course, when we believe the scriptures, we believe that God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's not a difference between in, in God and the Old Testament, God and the New Testament. And in fact, I would tell people that in the New Testament, God has even ratcheted up things more than the Old Testament. And the reason is because in the Old Testament, he carries out his judgment upon nations that deserve it, upon people that deserve judgment, that do not deserve um, life, but deserve death because they have broken his commandments. He's the author of life. He gets to set the rules. You have broken them. You deserve death. We, we see this even in the New Testament. Wages of sin is death. So they deserve it. But in the New Testament, instead of pouring out his wrath upon people who deserve it, he pours it out upon his son. Mm. So he's ratcheted it up. And there on the cross, you see the clearest picture of God's judgment and wrath, Mm. of God's judgment and wrath. But at the same time, you see the most beautiful picture of his love. Mm. And so in one image, you have God's love for his people that he pursues them. Even as we talked about going through this wicked, awful death, he pursues them in love and dies in their place, goes through all of this on their behalf. And at the same time, God's wrath is poured out on Christ in such a way that there's none left for those who are in Christ. So that's why Paul can say there's no condemnation for us. Jesus has taken it all Mm. and his wrath God's wrath has been poured out on him. Now, how can this happen? You have an infinitely perfect son, Jesus Christ, who's infinitely holy. And then you have the wrath of God, you know, this this powerful, infinite wrath of God. The only way it could be satisfied is for pouring it out for eternity. 
But because Jesus is infinitely holy, he takes it all and is able to pay in that moment on that cross for all of the wrath of his people. Mm. If you do not believe in Jesus, if you are not following him and trusting in him for your salvation, you will spend an eternity paying off the debt of your sin Mm. in hell underneath God's wrath. But Jesus pays for it that moment because he's the infinitely perfect lamb and he satisfies it. And so now all we do is believe and trust in him. And he gives us life. And you take the cross, which is a symbol of death, and now that's where we get life. And I still think Christians are right for holding up the cross as as our hope and our glory because it's in that cross and what Jesus accomplished there. Now, don't get it. We can't get it twisted. It's not the cross that saved us. It's the Christ that was on the cross. Right. And what he accomplished there for us. Uh, In that, we find life. Yeah, D.A. Carson calls the cross of Christ the climax of redemptive history, Mm -hmm. right? This is the place where we see the perfect love of God and the perfect justice of God come together. Right. Uh, And and I think that, you know, that's a good thing for us to remember this week, right? That we uh, are great sinners, and yet we have such a more wonderful, greater Savior, mm-hmm. and, and who, who came and paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, taking our sins upon himself uh, so that we might be free. Uh, Josh, this has been incredible. I, I wonder just as a way of kind of closing, uh, there are lots of, we talked about this a few minutes ago, and this could be another podcast altogether. Um, there are lots of books on the cross. Lots of good books have been written um, by by theologians and pastors and scholars about the cross. But but maybe would you give our listeners one or two that they that you would recommend that would that would help them kind of wrestle with uh, what's going on here theologically and, and at the cross? Yeah, uh, we were speaking off the air, and I was saying in my office, I have like three shelves of books on the cross. You know, it's just so many books out there. I think a good place for everybody to start written kind of in a devotional, short little, uh, short little book. But uh, John Piper's 50 Reasons Why Jesus Came to Die. Tremendous. And yeah. and uh, was huge. I mean, like, again, every little entry is maybe two to three pages and uh, just a short little devotion book. But But it's a great place to see all that the cross does for us, all that it brings about. Because um, it's so, it's in, in the scriptures, it's just deep with what the cross accomplishes for us. So that's a great place to start. If you're looking for something even more, um, when I was in, in college and seminary, there's a book written by John Stott uh, called The Cross of Christ that is a standard uh, when it comes to understanding the cross that still today, most people will point you in that direction. So it's a little bit deeper, a little bit more. I think that book is also a great addition. Now, again, there's countless others and feel free to, to reach out and to, and to ask for more, but those two will be a good place to start. Yeah, I think those are both wonderful two resources. And, and like you said, uh, both of those would be a great place to start on the cross. Uh, Josh, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely. And obviously with tomorrow being Good Friday, we hope that you and your family will take some time during the day to reflect upon the cross of Christ. But we know as believers that the cross is not the end, that we do not worship a crucified Savior, but we worship a risen Savior, mm-hmm. uh, one who has been risen from the dead. And because of his resurrection, we have life and victory, and we look forward to celebrating that on Sunday. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Lake Murray Baptist Church podcast. We hope that you will have an incredible Good Friday and that you'll join us on Sunday for Easter. 
And a special thank you to you, the members of Lake Mary Baptist Church, and to all of our listeners. Remember, this podcast and the other ministries of Lake Mary Baptist Church are brought to you by the generous tithes and offerings of our church membership. To give to the ministries of Lake Mary Baptist Church, you can follow the link in the description. For more information about Lake Murray Baptist Church, you can always visit our church website, www.lakemurraybc.org. Remember to subscribe to this podcast. By subscribing, you'll be notified whenever a new pod is posted. We hope that you'll join us again next time as we seek to live in light of the gospel in the places where God has placed us for his glory, our joy, and others' good.